I think theology's for the clergy. I just believe in Jesus. Certain hermeneutics of eschatology demand an exegetical approach. I think you shouldn't question what you were taught in church. Isn't that blasphemy or something? Welcome once again, folks, to the broadcast. This is Michael Patton and Tim Kimberly and yes. Sam Storms, who always brings a storm in, and especially during this series on why I'm not charismatic. He is uh, trying to rain on our secessionist parade and uh, cause us not to be charisma or not to be secessionist anymore. I don't know if that's the goal of his, but uh, it is uh, something that is a goal of mine. I'll talk about that in just a moment. What do we okay. got? Anything? Um, anything for announcements or anything yeah. like that? Uh, well, Lord willing, by the time of this broadcast, we will have an update to our Theology app, and so you can check out theologyapp.org, uh-huh. and we will also, Lord willing, at the time of this broadcast, have our church map online. And what that is, is basically we're going to have a Google map on our site. You can go to reclaimingthemind.org slash church. And if you are looking for any church in your area, or if you are a church who's offering any of our boot camps, uh, our discipleship program, or any of our theology program classes, that uh, we'd love to put you on our map so that people in your in your community, people in your city, people in the next city over, uh, who are listeners to our broadcasts, who are people that uh, that uh, are in touch with our ministry, and but would love to go through our studies in community, uh, this can be great outreach for your church. To uh, to draw people in and to uh, to go through this type of training uh, together, and so so if you go to find a church on our site, uh, that should be up and live, and we will be continually adding churches to that list. And so please let us know. Please email us if you would like your church added to our list. We'd love. Yeah, to have and that's it on a, there. that's a big part of what we do. I mean, we do theology unplugged. We have the Credo House. We talk about a lot of things, but our curriculum that we develop specifically for small groups for churches to be able to go through, especially those churches that um, uh, may find that they really need more theology, more foundational belief, that this is the place to come, look yeah. through, start it at your church. More intentional discipleship. If you can't find it in your area, start it there. Exactly. That'd exactly. Great. And interact with us. You can talk directly with Michael on the phone, and he can walk you through how exactly we've discovered over having a thousand churches use our curriculum, how we discovered them to be successful. You know, we've learned uh, things along the way that really help to, uh, to boost you up and to give you uh, as much success as possible in uh, training the people in your community the great things of our God. Talking about why I am slash not a charismatic. Um, you know, Sam, I think one of the goals, and in, in Tim, I yes. have no clue what your expe- expectations are on this or your hopes are on this, but every time I do talk about this, and I don't mean to put any pressure upon the conversation, but I do want to let you guys know, and I'm being very serious, this is very online but unplugged, is that there is a sense in me that wants to be charismatic, that wants to experience the gifts of the spirit in such a way as we talked about last time. I know we need to redefine some things mm-hmm. or restate some things, but that there's there's a very real desire, and I, I I don't think that this is something that's new lately. I think it's something that you know it, it's just a desire, obviously, and I don't think there's anything wrong with this to experience God in a different way, um, to to see God work in a different way, to be excited about the movement or or maybe I'm just putting it this way that 
moving from the mundane movements, please forgive me, guys, the mundane movements of God to the movements of God that are evident in a whole different way. Um, I don't know if that expresses a lack of faith many times. I don't think it does. I, I believe in him very strongly. I just feel like whenever you experience him, whenever you see things that happen that are miraculous, and I know we <laughs> the miraculous is always is always behind all of these things, but whenever you see it in such an evident way, there's an excitement to it that is different. Just like whenever you get a testimony from somebody that that has that has experienced God in some way that you haven't really experienced them, you you really do feed off them. Mm-hmm. You really do feel, you really do are are uplifted and edified by the way that they experience God. And I love to be around people that experience God in such a way. I used to yeah. just get jealous about it, but now it's like I need it more from you guys because I don't have that type of thing myself. I've never I've never spoken in tongues. I've never felt like I've seen something that is really miraculous. I mean, the closest I could come is whenever I, I've told this story a few times, but whenever it seems like I miraculously saw or uh, found my sister, which I believe I miraculously did whenever she was you know, going to commit suicide, and it's a, it's a long story. I'm not going to tell it, but it was a miracle. You just happened to drive straight to the hotel that she was at in a city of 10 million people. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was amazing. Yeah. And I, I refer back to that today, to even though you know it didn't end well for my sister. I refer back to that today in my mind for an experience that where God has, in a sense, peaked from behind the clouds that are often so obscure. As his evident hand sometimes doesn't seem to be so close. I long for uh, uh, the experience of God that I had whenever I was 12 years old and um, I I was on a cakewalk. (laughs) Okay, this is silly, I know. 12 years old on a cakewalk and there's 36 squares and I pray to God and I say, God, if you're really there, you know, let me win this cake. And then I won the cake right then. Next year, I went back, said the exact same thing, and won the cake right then. And I thought, man, this is my meeting place with God. This is, <laughs> this is the shrine. This is the tabernacle. You know? And it, the next year, I went back and lost. But yeah. <laughs> that's a whole different story. But my point is this. Not that I don't believe in miracles. And not that being charismatic means, like you said last time, Tim, that it means all of a sudden you're beginning to believe in miracles. But being charismatic does have this this more saturation of expectation to experience God. Let me put a couple of words to that. Um, The words immediacy and intimacy. In other words, it sounds like what you're saying is we, we can get into something of a mundane rut in our Christian lives in which we're obedient. We're not living in, you know, unrepentant sin. We're kind of one day after another. But the sense of the immediacy of God is somewhat lost or obscured. God is somewhat distant and remote. But living day in day out with a sense of His eminence, His nearness, the immediacy of God in my life, in my relationships, and all that I'm doing, to the degree that it's not just a theological belief. There is an actual uh, experience of it. There's a sense, there's almost a tangible awareness of God's presence in a way that 
um, that maybe at other times we don't sense. Mm. And then flowing out of that is just the notion of intimacy. This, there's a, more of an openness with God. There's a vulnerability. There's a, a, a sense of, you know, when we talk about intimacy, thinking about your relationship with your husband or your wife um, and what intimacy entails, where there's that with, in our relationship with the Lord as well. So it, it's, I think I hear what you're saying is that you long to see that, but also perhaps um, the direct um, involvement of God in ways that cannot be accounted for by natural means, such that you could look at that and say, there's no way that this could happen were God not real and were God not actually present, powerfully working as in the case with the situation with your sister. So what, what we're saying is, is I, I think what you guys are, well, what you're saying, Michael, is that, that generally speaking, I mean, it doesn't really matter if you're a cessationist or charismatic. Both camps can have, uh, or both people viewing that can have incredible intimacy with God and yes. can, can, can really interact very supernaturally with God. Uh, uh, I, I've got a lot of stories, I feel like, where I, I, would, I would say I'm, I'm more cessationist, but I, I feel like I've seen God very supernaturally work. Uh, times when I was in Africa and saw crazy things, was involved with crazy things, that, that only a supernatural God could do these things. So I don't necessarily have to be charismatic to see and to have that intimacy with God, but I think what you're saying, Michael, is generally speaking, uh, people who are continuationists or who are charismatic seem to exhibit um, a, a view of God that is more supernatural than your normal going churchgoer in a cessationist church. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I'd say that. And again, active in an evident way. You know, that's what I said beforehand. And I'm not saying that I don't believe that God is active in an evident way whenever I, you know, live my life every day, whenever we pray beforehand yeah. about this. Yeah, well, and we were, teaching, we were teaching Tuesday night on Augustine Pelagian and, and viewing that each of us, you know, with a view that we were absolutely dead in our sins, the and, and all three of us would believe in that. I mean, our, our view of uh, our thing on total depravity was very clear that we all three believe that we were totally dead in our sins. So even the fact that we can say we are Christian uh, exhibits a miraculous supernatural work in our lives. And so we've all experienced supernatural, miraculous works in our lives. Um, but, but what we're saying, though, is that um, you know, as as you go through life, and at times it seems like God is distant. That uh, that uh, those in the charismatic uh, churches or continuationist churches are are seemingly uh, seeking and uh, and living in a more expectant, excited way. Yeah, often they are. But I would also add, and I don't want to, you know, kind of throw myself out there and say this is what I, I'm scared of it too, because I see so many people who end up with disillusionment expectations that God is going to do something. And again, this is not a charismatic issue necessarily or continuationist issue necessarily right now. Yeah. Because we're, we're, we need to zero in on the gifts themselves. But Which is why we need to have this foundation. But whenever you do formalism. up, whether you're charismatic or non-charismatic, whether you, whenever you do up your expectations and those expectations do not get fulfilled, there is a there is an incredible drain. It's like you talked about last week, Sam, whenever you talked about the name it, claim it. People who live in that name it, claim it have to build themselves up into an 
area of expectation that says, all right, like, like with my mother, you know, who had the aneurysm and the stroke and can't walk and, and, and can't really talk. All right, if I just go in there this time and say, I am really expecting this. Mm-hmm. And I tell everybody, you know, that's part of the thing because you can't have faith and keep it to yourself. So, uh, Christy, my sister, mom's going to be healed today. Lindsay, my sister, mom's going to be healed today. You know, I know it. I, I have this deep down inside. And you go there and then you're just drained whenever she's not, you know. And then it's like, well, set that one on the shelf and let, let's try for something else. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, there's a there's a pastor in Oklahoma City that I'm aware of that uh, that went up to uh, a mom and dad who had a newborn in ICU and uh, and went up and said, you know, God gave me a word that your newborn is going to be just fine. And they were starting to make plans for funeral and and were making a lot of plans. And they and they said, cancel all your plans. You know, be be excited. Uh, the baby's going to be just fine. And then the next day, the baby dies. You know, and then here their pastor has given them this word that they feel like is from God. Uh, and now they're disillusioned. Can can I expect? Can I understand anything that my pastor are saying and and these are you know we're getting into probably something that'll be down the road that we'll discuss uh, more specifically um, but what we're saying is that there is this expectation and there's this good thing that we're seeing but we're also kind of fearful of uh, kind of what happens when people seem to be operating within those gifts and it seems that actually God wasn't operating in that way. Yeah, it's letting quite a bit of air out of a new balloon that you created to sustain your faith or to just lift up your faith. And then that hole in that really drives you down quite a bit. But we need to hear Sam's story, and we need to uh, because uh, – well, yeah, no, The only reason I say all that is because I want, to, I want you to see where I'm coming from whenever we approach this issue. It's not that I don't want to be charismatic. It's not that I'm an- intellectually or even emotionally necessarily antagonistic towards it. But it's it's almost as if there is a sense in me that wants to, but I'm fearful of what I've seen. And again, it's going to come back to a lot of the abuses that we've uh, talked about a little bit last time, and we'll talk more about later on. But Sam, I want to hear your story about this. My story. Well, to keep it short, and I you will. went from being non charismatic to being charismatic mm-hmm. or non cessationist to uh, or, I mean cessationist, cessationist. continuationist. Yeah. yeah. And and these, I mean, this will probably be in your story, but this wasn't just an easy decision. I imagine I, I I've heard enough of your story to know that it 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 cost a lot for you to to make that transition, and personally with friendships and things mm-hmm. like that. So we recognize that this isn't just a, a a little thing in your life. Yeah, it was costly at the time. Um, I was very much a cessationist. Had been raised in that uh, tradition, and of course went to Dallas Seminary, and that reinforced it in many ways, and. Um, was um, an associate pastor under S. Lewis Johnson for eight years at Believer's Chapel in Dallas. And Dr. Johnson was professor at Dallas for 28 years, I mm-hmm. believe, and then finished out his career at Trinity Seminary mm-hmm. in, in Deerfield, Illinois. That's because he became too much of a Calvinist, right? <laughs> well, that's another story. <laughs> uh, and uh, um, when, I, uh, I, when I left... Um, Believer's Chapel in Dallas and took a, the senior pastor position in Ardmore, Oklahoma at a church there in 1985 for the first couple of years, I became increasingly frustrated with just what I felt was the my inability to really help people work through their issues. It was a very frustrating experience. Uh, I don't know why I'd never really felt it before. 
But uh, it wasn't because I had seen a miracle or experienced anything overtly supernatural or anything of that sort that the shift occurred. Um, it really was sparked by D.A. Carson's book, Showing the Spirit. Uh, Don Carson wrote a book on uh, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14, still in print, published by Baker. And I read that, I think it was in eight, late 87, 1987. And what it did was um, a number of the arguments that I had been taught in seminary and that I myself in turn taught over the years, um, that uh, to, arguments that supposedly uh, proved that um, certain gifts no longer op- were operative in the church, Carson just dismantled the arguments. He just exposed them, in my opinion, very clearly and very persuasively and in a way that was almost embarrassing to me. Uh, because I thought, how could I have embraced that argument, that idea, when it seems so obvious um, that it's just simply not in Scripture? So D.A. Carson's book was uh, very, very instrumental in my uh, in my journey. The next stage in that was um, a re-engagement uh, of my friendship with Jack Deere, um, I'm a, Jack taught at Dallas Seminary for 12 years in the Old Testament department and was eventually released from that position because of his charismatic beliefs. Now, you were friends with Jack Deere while yes. he was on staff. Well, I was friends with Jack when we were students together at Dallas oh, okay. in the 70s. Okay. And then I knew him while he was teaching. But we had lost contact over about a three- or four-year period. And I was back on the campus at Dallas uh, in early 88. Actually, the interesting thing, I was there to visit a church member from my church in Oklahoma who was at Baylor Medical who was near death with brain tumor. Mm-hmm. And I was on my way to Baylor basically to, and if a Protestant can say this, to perform last rites because yeah. I knew he was going to die. And I mm-hmm. ran into Jack, and I told told him why I was there, and he said, well, are you going to pray that God would heal him? Mm-hmm. And it kind of caught me. Um, I was a little dumbfounded, and I said, well, I, I suppose I will. Uh, I said, but I'm not sure I believe that that's going to happen. I will now <laughs> that you ask. I will. <laughs> but it did spark a conversation. And, of course, Jack then shared with me his journey hmm. and where he was. And he was, I think, uh, released from his position about th- at the end of that semester, about three or four months later. Yeah, it was in 88, wasn't uh-huh. it? But we renewed our friendship and began to communicate a lot. Jack began to feed me a great deal of material, and he was in the process of writing his book, which was Surprised by the Power of the Spirit, which I read the manuscript and interacted extensively with him on it before it came out. So that had an influence as well. And that's known as one of the classics, classic book on, on this for yes. sure. I mean, that's yeah. a book that that if you are really looking into this, you probably should read that book. Absolutely. Surprised by the Power of and, the Spirit. And that's on your top ten list, isn't it, mm-hmm. of, of books that every Christian should read? Yes. Yes. I think it's very, very good. Um, and all of this still without having had any significant experience. Um, and then in um, – n- um, Late 1990, early 1991, um, at Jack's invitation, I began to attend some conferences that the Vineyard and John Wimber were hosting and began to have my first taste of of these kinds of phenomena. Mm -hmm. I'll just mention one just for time's sake. Uh, um, I actually have written extensively about all of this. I tell my entire journey in a book I wrote called Convergence. Mm-hmm. Subtitled Spiritual Journeys of a Charismatic Calvinist. Mm-hmm. And I, I tell these in great detail if anybody's interested in that. 
But just one example, real quickly. I was I went to the Vineyard Conference in Anaheim, about 7,000 people present at the Orange County Convention Center. And at the end of the conference, Jack took me down to a room where there were about 50, 60 people gathered. And um, it was one of the side rooms at the convention center. And he said, just sit at the back and watch and see what you can learn. So I sat there as a group of about three or four men at the front, one by one would call these people forward, sit them in a chair, and prophesy to them. I learned later that's what it was. Until the room literally was totally empty except for me sitting at the back and they called me to the front, and I thought, well, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> so I didn't know any of these men, never met them. I sat down in front of a gentleman who looked at my name tag, looked in my eyes, and said, Sam, all right, let me tell you what you've been praying in your hotel room the last three nights. And he proceeded to quote my prayers to me verbatim, not a paraphrase, word for word what I had been praying to God. And assuring me, he thought that the reason the Lord revealed that was because God was going to answer those prayers, which, by the way, he did. I'm a pretty good poker face. I didn't blink. I didn't blush. I wasn't going to give this guy any encouragement whatsoever. But inside, I was um, doing backflips and Mm -hmm. somersaults and Mm -hmm. scared to death, trembling. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought, what in the world? How did this happen? And then it struck me as I left later, why should I be so shocked? Why would it be so surprising that God actually heard my prayers and that in turn God then shared that with another Christian who could then speak it back to me as a way of encouraging me and building up my faith? Hmm. So it, it, when I thought about it, and you know, I kind of demystified it for a moment, uh, what seemed so powerfully unusual and radical and odd seemed really in keeping with the character of God. But that was just one example of multitudes of others um, moving into 1993, uh, that's the year my wife and I had multiple uh, supernatural events in our lives. We saw we had prophetic words, we had dreams that came out of the blue from people living thousands of miles away that came true in in our natural experience. Uh, we saw incredible deliverance from demonic oppression. We saw, we had angelic visitations. It was bizarre. I don't have any hesitation calling it bizarre. Mm-hmm. It was it was remarkable in many ways, um, and it, so that was really the uh, launch. And in 1993 is when uh, we left Ardmore and joined a um, uh, the staff so, of, so of a vineyard wife. church was secessionist too but she was experiencing these things as well uh, so not a- for a while she really thought that i had gone off the rails she was concerned about my sanity because uh-huh. i had trained her so well as a cessationist yeah. uh, that when i began to explore these things and it, and largely interestingly enough it wasn't so much in supernatural phenomena it was more in uh, my um, journey into worship i just in my relationship with god personally through um, new expressions of worship, greater freedom, greater joy, uh, very much, you know, the this was back in the day when the worship wars were being waged uh, with blood being spilled. Mm-hmm. But there was just a new dimension of intimacy in my relationship with the Lord that that I think looking back, she probably envied, but it also scared her and she didn't know what to do with it. But mm-hmm. no, it wasn't until... 1992 or so that she really began to open herself up to this reality. So 
uh, for a couple of years, I was uh, I was viewed by sus- with a measure of suspicion by my wife yeah, on these I'm matters. Sure. But since you know, after '93, we moved and joined the staff of a vineyard church, which was very much into the normal operative pursuit and practice of all the gifts of the Spirit. And um, of course, by then, other books were being written. Uh, Craig Keener wrote a book called "Gift and Giver." Um, uh, John Ruthven wrote a book on uh, called "On the Cessation of the Charismata," in which he argued for the continuation of the gifts. Jack's book came out, I think, in 1994. Yeah. Um, so, a number of these things were happening, and by then, I, we were experiencing on a more regular basis expressions of all the gifts of the spirit and so that was just that's kind of how the journey got launched and so here we are these many years later and uh, well and another thing is that what and this is the reason why it's both uh i think wonderful for our audience and for us and for me and if you you know listen to sam and you hear him tell that story and you are or were or have approached this as a hardcore cessationist, you know, almost yeah. the uh, you-must-be-demon-possessed kind. And you've listened to Sam over the last, you know, however long we've been doing Theology Unplugged. you got to be scratching your head, too. I mean, you really do. you got to be experiencing the same type of thing because I got an email uh, four days ago. And it was from a lady who said, I'm a regular listener to Theology Unplugged. I got to tell you that I'm very confused because I am one of those people who is a very hardcore cessationist. I knew of Sam Storms only by word only, you know, from that he is a charismatic or he was a turncoat or something like that. I don't know if she used those words, but said something something like that. And she said, "Um, I want to tell you how blessed I've been by him because he's given me a whole different picture. Now, we haven't even talked about it yet, Sam, but here's her knowing where, what, your, who, what you are as far as your position with the charismatic gifts. But listening to you, I think it's kind of... Yeah, because the assumption is that in many ways, I think that charismatics are, are only seeking experience, don't care about the Bible, only care about their present experience, don't care about church history, only certainly care about... Certainly no church history, certainly no theology. Exactly, and, yeah, and, and anti-intellectual, and, uh, and you know, Sam speaks into all those. And I, and I also got to say that at the time that this was happening with me, we're talking late 80s, early 90s, there were, as far as I can tell, there were no... Good examples of a con- of continuationists on radio or TV. It was mm. all the extreme, mm. fanatical, um, uh, abusive types of so called charismatic behavior. And so when I am when I basically just said I cannot affirm cessationism any longer. I just don't think I have biblical grounds for doing it. I had a number of very close friends who simply wrote me off. I had one very close friend. Uh, my wife and I were written into his and his wife's will to take their children should something catastrophic happen to them. Well, he immediately changed his will. Wow. Didn't want his kids being raised by me anymore. Wow. Um, <laughs> which is all right with me. But well, I by had, the way, I wrote you into our will. Yeah. For that. I didn't but yeah, I had, I had me too. If you don't know, we have like uh, sixty kids coming you your way much. just in case if something happens. Um, I had conferences where I was scheduled to speak. They canceled. Um, I had uh, the rumors I began to get uh, the fit back to me through the grapevine is that everything from Sam has had an emotional breakdown to he's been institutionalized to he's just simply um, apostatized from the Reformed faith. Um, and 
I, I don't recall being offended. Um, maybe a little hurt by some, but uh, that was a time in which there were very little, very few good role models theologically and pastorally. Mm. Um, the only persons that were uh, well known at the time in the evangelical world who were advocating continuationism were Piper and Grudem. Mm. Um, and yet, John really wasn't a practicing charismatic. Wayne was, uh, but aside, from, but they didn't have uh, you know TV ministries. Yeah, uh, those who did were the kinds who were pushing people over and and throwing their coats at them and and making outrageous claims for uh, for revelatory experiences or healings that in fact didn't happen. Um, so it was a difficult time in one sense for me to um, experience this transition. Uh, because you became an easy target for people who um, were highly, highly suspicious. And honestly, I can understand their suspicion. I can understand why people were concerned because uh, the only thing that they could associate in their minds was, oh, I guess Sam now is on board with Oral Roberts, Mm -hmm. or he's now embraced the views of classical Pentecostalism and he believes that everybody's supposed to speak in tongues. Um, Or... You know, he's he's his when he prays, his eyes are going to roll back in his head, and he's going to fall on the floor in a trance. These were the images that were predominant in people's minds in that time. I think now that there are far more individuals who embrace the gifts, who are solid, mature, sane saints, hmm. and so it's less likely that somebody would embrace continuationism and immediately come under suspicion as having lost their mind. Well, you know, and it's like we distinguished, and I know we're out of time, but we distinguished beforehand those who do not reject the continuation of assigned gifts and those who practice. Those are two different types. But it seems to me, whenever I look more and more that I, I look out there and see evangelical scholars, those who are respected, those who are loved, evangelical pastors... Most of those fall in one of those two categories now, which is you know pretty amazing. I, I almost feel like the odd one out. Okay, mm. I mean I, I'm doing this series so I can I can get in with the with the guys who know what's going on or something, you know, because it's less and less even among those people as we've talked about who have graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary. I mean, most of the people that I know that are graduating these days, they are in one of those two camps. They are either believe in the continuation or believe and are practicing uh, charismatics. Yeah, and we can talk about the Acts 29 network maybe coming up as, as kind of setting a stage in some ways of, of a, a wide network that is accepting of that and uh, and and where that's normal, is a normal part of, of the network and stuff. So, so I think my preference of having some uh, chapter titles or whatever it be is not <laughs> going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to keep fighting for it because I think that uh, it'll help our lead- our listeners know where we're going over the- these next discussions and right, give us folks, some Folks, we, we will get into some discussions, and we will get into the points, and we will get into the arguments, and we will talk about what Sam talked about, about the arguments, the traditional arguments for and against. I and think I think in love, we have to kind of yell at each other once in a while. Uh, I called Sam a turncoat. Yeah. Is that cool? No, man. I thought that was that was that was a week. That was ridiculous. Yeah, you're such a lightweight, man. Right. I can't believe that you just called him such a mild term. Heretic would be much more. Okay, that, we'll, that would, we'll we'll throw that one better. out there next week. But we'll, we'll get into that. We will get in the structure. But cover the biblical passages that deal with this. We'll cover deal with the history and and what is the church like. And we'll ask the question: Was Jonathan Edwards? 
a secessionist? Well, the answer is easy. Yes, he was. <laughs> a very inconsistent one, but he was a secessionist. And then well, we, he's not anymore. He's not anymore. No, he's not. I, I will give you that. Touche. <laughs> Um, but one of the main things I wanted to get with telling Sam's story, and thank you for telling that, Sam, is that uh, I, you guys have got to get dislodged. There's just a lot of you all that are still out there that uh, are, can't consider this because of the associations. And it's such a big thing to understand this. Number one, while I'm not a charismatic, I do know that whenever Satan wants to obscure things, he'll put in things that will make it counterfeit the same thing and make you associate wrongly. Uh, I see this all the time in my Calvinism, you know, mm. that people wrongly associate what I believe with someone or something else and then won't even consider it. And I think so much with the regards to this issue, the charismatic issue, you've got the Benny Hens out there, you've got the the um, uh, kind of wild and crazy barking at the moon type things and shaking on the floor all day long type things. And we, we need to discuss that and see how exactly. that association. We, we, we don't want to create extreme, uh, extreme examples. And we're going to set that up as this is normative, this extreme example. And that's all that we're discussing. You know, what, what we want to do is have a more realistic, we don't want to set up all these straw men and knock them down uh-huh. and walk away all thinking that we were the ones who own the truth. But instead we want to have a more, uh, just a more realistic conversation. And here's just a thought to, to just to, to kind of churn people up until our next broadcast. Um, I would simply. Is this where you start speaking in tongues? No, no, that's later. <laughs> I would simply say to people, um, you should no more reject the possibility that gifts are operative today because of the extremes that you just mentioned and some of the names that you named, any more than I would tell you, Michael that you need to abandon your pre-tribulation rapture view because of Harold Camping. Come on, give me a fist bump on that. All right. <laughs> uh, so there are fanatics, extremists, and uh, unbiblical proponents of virtually every doctrinal position. And it is, it is a massively important thing that we all look at them and say, I'm not going to accept or reject a particular view either because somebody does embrace it or somebody else abuses it, whether it's eschatology or pneumatology or soteriology or any other ology or any other truth that we we believe uh, the Word of God sets forth. And that's an important principle to remember. Well said. All right, folks, hopefully you're enjoying this Why I Am Slash Not Charismatic series. Uh, We'll pick it up next week as we allow Tim some time to try to lay out a path, right? Thank you very much. You're welcome. You've been listening to Theology Unplugged. Visit our iTunes page by searching Theology Unplugged at the iTunes store. All episodes are available as free downloads. Theology Unplugged is made possible by Reclaiming the Mind Ministries. Reclaiming the Mind Ministries is a listener-supported ministry. If you've enjoyed this session or benefited from it in any way, do consider partnering with us. For information on how to become a ministry partner and for a complete listing of ministry resources, visit the RMM homepage at www.reclaimingthemind.org. Thank you for listening, and God bless.